Hello, I'm James Kerr. I'm a secondary school English teacher, an NEU workplace rep, and I'm standing for the National Education Union National Executive Committee for Inner London alongside Christabel Williams and Kirsty Payton. We want change! We want change! We want change! What do you have to say about the protest, Mr. Smith? Mr. Smith, stop walking away. Where are you going? What you just heard there were students from Pimlico Academy in Westminster, inner London, campaigning against changes made to their school by their new head teacher, Daniel Smith. Um, Mr. Smith brought in at the beginning of the year a new history curriculum that taught the British Empire and its history in a much more favourable light. He coupled that with erecting uh, a Union Jack over a multinational and multiracial school and introduced a uniform policy that discriminated against Muslim students and black students in particular. As is often the way with this type of head teacher, his unpopularity is not just confined to the students. The staff also met the eve of the protest to overwhelmingly pass a vote of no confidence in the head teacher and begin the process of balloting for industrial action over the way that the school is run in terms of workload, accountability, and the way that safeguarding uh, and incidents of racist abuse are reported. In his short tenure at the school, he has been confronted with students taking down the Union Jack and burning it, a petition with over a thousand signatures against his changes, and graffiti on the walls of the school calling out his racist policies. It's fair to say that Mr Smith is about as popular as a fart in a face mask. So when we've got somebody like that leading a school and clearly not representing the wider community, what do we do about it? Before I go on much further, um, as of recording, the students have already won significant concessions from school management. Um, they've already won concessions on the uniform policy and also the Union Jack is going to be taken down. Um, and there is obviously potential for further changes after the school holidays. And they've also brought to light really important issues around uh, transphobia and sexual assault within the school uh, that hopefully will now be taken much more seriously. As somebody who organised school student walkouts during the Iraq war demonstrations when I was at secondary school in 2003, I know it's a very hard thing to do. You come under a lot of pressure for doing it um, and you and your peers have kind of legitimate concerns about the impact it can have on your disciplinary records, your education and your future in general. So it's not something that's really done lightly. So why did the Pimlico Academy students choose to do it? Well, clearly they didn't see another viable route for them to be able to have their voices heard and to see the changes made. And even with large sections of the wider school community, the staff body, the parents and families of students also raising considerable opposition to some of the changes, that still wasn't being heard. And so it raises a much bigger question for us and how we deal with the question of democracy and accountability within our schools. And particularly, if we think about Pimlico as being an academy, uh, a school that receives government money, but is in effect run as a private institution, then the question of accountability and democracy uh, is even more stark when we see incidents like we saw last week. Must be more to this than meets the eye. 
Well, funny you should say that, because let's look at who runs Pimlico Academy. Pimlico Academy is part of the Future Academies Trust, or FAT for short, as in Fat Cat, Fat Cat at the mat and in a completely unrelated point the person who spearheaded that organization originally was lord nash lord nash was a former schools minister under david cameron and seems to have benefited from that revolving door between the dfe uh, the upper echelons of academy trusts and ofsted Nash might be a top Tory, but the conversion from Pimlico School to Pimlico Academy actually took place in the last year of the new Labour government. In other words, Pimlico Academy is one of those early pioneering academies that was held up by the Blair and Brown administration as kind of beacons of educational hope in deserts of social deprivation, particularly in the inner cities. The argument went that these academies were necessary to meet the needs of communities that had been let down by poor education and as a result had few life chances uh, afforded to them, certainly compared to more affluent areas. Early academy conversions also came with the promise of a £2 million stipend from whoever was sponsoring the academy and so that was dangled as a carrot for that privatisation and gained some traction within communities who saw the potential for genuine improvements in the quality of buildings and generally the education that children were going to receive. One of the first campaigns that I was involved in around education in London was against Monson Primary School leaving Lewisham Local Authority control and joining the Haberdasher Asks Trust. And the arguments that we came up against in that campaign from a section of parents and also from local councillors and politicians was that this was an incredible opportunity for a community that felt it had been forgotten and underrepresented to suddenly get the kind of resources and support that was necessary to raise educational standards. Since then, we've seen the reality of the academies and now free schools programme with the grotesque spectacle of multi-academy trusts run by people on eye-watering salaries and incredibly generous final salary pension schemes, Uh, academies using off-rolling and exclusions as a way of manicuring results and our public services being treated and feeling more like corporate institutions than education providers. But in the mid-2000s, the mask hadn't fully slipped yet, and Blair set out this supposedly misty-eyed vision for how this was going to transform education. In every change made, from specialist schools through to city academies, of course, trust schools, there was an assumption that difference meant inequity. Yet what is obvious is that different is what each and every child is. Of course, some things have to be set to a uniform standard. It's wise to have a national curriculum, to have inspections, albeit of a lighter touch, to publish results, to have policies, some policies, in common in every school. But the key to education today is to personalise learning, to recognise different children have different abilities and in different subjects. However, personalising learning is not just about a distinctive approach to every child, 
it is also reflected in a distinctive approach to every school. It is about schools feeling ownership of their own future, the power and the responsibility that comes from being free to chart their own course, experiment and innovate, doing things differently. The decision makers in their own destiny, not the recipients of a predestined formula laid down by government. So where did this vision of a child-centred, personalised paradise actually end up? Well, it ended up with Michael Gove and the Tories putting the Academy's programme on steroids and any hope that this was going to lead to an attentive uh, an individualised uh, education system were fairly smashed. And if you're in any doubt, this is Michael Gove, Secretary of State for Education, addressing a hall full of school students. This is a man credited with supposedly creating a challenging, exciting and engaging education system fit for the 21st century. Mm, I'll let you come to your conclusions on this. Happy New Year to you all, um, and my sympathies to those of you in Year 6 whose lessons I've observed and who now, I suppose as a form of punishment, have to listen to me. Schools are continually finding new ways to work together and to support each other. There are 403 converter academies in approximately 138 chains, and these chains range from multi-academy trusts with shared... Five schools are expected to join by April. Now, the academies in this trust all work collaboratively, they share training and the development of staff, they work together on curriculum design, and they use shared administrative and financial management services. And the schools are all seeing the benefits, with the results rising and vast improvements being made. Two of the schools in the Trust, Debton Park and Welling, were among the most improved in the country last year. And three primaries from Bromley, Bexley, Kent, Essex and West Sussex, with another new school from Hampshire, Haven't Academy, joining this month. If you can find the video for that online, you will see children actually visibly ageing before your eyes. In recent weeks, Gavin Williamson has announced that he wants more schools to become academies by 2025 and more standalone and smaller mats to join larger chains by that time as well. And the arguments they use are quite breathtaking. What they argue is that schools need to become part of these bigger national chains in order to get the support that they need from other schools and the kind of economies of scale uh, that come with being a bigger organisation to deal with the financial financial pressures of years of underfunding and now COVID. In other words, the arguments that were used against being part of a local authority and the need to break away to be independent have now been turned on their head uh, and used uh, to argue for the creation of bigger and bigger chains. Now, some people will argue that had we stuck with a kind of new labour model of privatisation, that it would be a much more favourable position. But this was always the direction of travel. And we need to remind ourselves and remind others that that was always going to be the case. Because when 6% of schools were academies at the end of the new Labour government, it maybe seemed like it wasn't uh, a major uh, impactor on the rest of education. But the point was the dam had been broken and it was the thin end of a very big wedge because what it did was it undermined local authorities 
And what does that really mean? It doesn't mean just bureaucrats in a town hall. It means democracy. I mean, I work for a local authority school. And uh, although the school is run and managed locally, as per what the Tories brought in in the late 1980s, I still get, once every four years, the opportunity to vote for the people who oversee the education system in my borough. I get to vote effectively for my employer. If my school becomes an academy, I don't have that ability. And also, if my school were to become an academy, decision-making wouldn't just be made within my school or even within my borough. It could be made hundreds and hundreds of miles away because when a school joins a multi-academy trust, it ceases to be its own individual entity it becomes part of the mat and so there's no requirement to include local representatives on the board of governors uh, and to be attentive to local school community we want change 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 we definitely do need change and we need change quickly because the academy's programme and privatisation and that whole agenda is harming our young people right now and it's also harming our colleagues. And I want to take a moment here to send a message of solidarity to Kirsty Payton from Greenwich NEU and also a member of the National Executive and I hope she's going to be re-elected. Uh, this time round for Inner London and you use one of your preferences to vote for her. Um, but she is also facing victimisation by her employer, United Learning Trust, a big multi-academy chain, for daring to speak out on the question of school safety. But while the argument might be that she's brought the chain into disrepute, really what underlies this is the fact that Kirsty has stood up to that chain, has stood up to Ofsted, and has stood up to uh, all of those people who have tried to push for her school, the John Roan School, uh, out of um, local authority control, out of it being uh, a community school and into the hands of privateers. And she's been one of the people who has led the way in resisting that privatisation and has been an absolute inspiration for her wider school community and for us as trade unionists. And we must stand with her uh, in order to um, face down that, uh, that victimisation. That takes me on to the very final thing I want to talk about in relation to academies and free schools, which is the impact on trade unions and trade unionism. Because the academies programme wasn't just about undermining local authorities and effectively trying to undo uh, hundreds of years of struggle uh, um, of, of ordinary working class people to fight for uh, democratic oversight uh, of schools. It was also about breaking up the power of trade unions so that we would have a situation where workers, uh, you know, all in one industry weren't represented uh, in national collective bargaining or in local borough wide bargaining where everyone in a geographical area would be uh, represented in negotiations with their council, but instead to have a situation where literally hundreds of different employers are all negotiating with smaller bargaining groups, with different demands, different pay policies, different maternity policies, and as a result, a weakening of that kind of collective strength. 
because they're not doing it for the sake of it. They're doing it in order to weaken the power of the union so they can drive down wages and worsen terms and conditions. And that leads to a deprofessionalised education system. It's a race to the bottom with these people. And the only way we can apply the brakes to that race is by fighting back against academy conversions. We need to take the excellent example of Molescombe down on the south coast, where they fought a heroic battle against uh, academy conversion. But I also want to take the example of the campaign against the Leversellers Federation in my borough of Lewisham, um, when there was an attempt to convert that federation uh, into a multi-academy trust. That campaign was led by Martin Powell Davis, NUT branch secretary at that time, and now running for the NEU deputy general secretary. And that was an incredibly important campaign, which combined a community uh, response with industrial action in the workplace to push back that attempt to convert those schools. And that's been so important to keep them as part of the Lewisham family of schools during COVID, because it's meant that we have a local authority that plays a more active role in overseeing education than many other London boroughs. We also need to make a political priority the renationalisation of schools and to take the money and resources out of the hands of the fat cats and put them into the hands of the people who really matter, the workers on the ground uh, and the young people who uh, we serve. But there is also the question around what can we unite workers in local authority schools and academies right now around and that is, in my view, the question of a national contract for all education workers, whether you work in a big multi-academy trust or in a local authority school, let's fight for a single contract that covers all of us. Now, a motion to that effect is going to NEU conference this week. I hope it is passed and we can make it policy, but also turn it into reality because that will really undermine and it will pull the rug out of those who want to divide us and fragment our education system. And instead, it can unite us around common demands and a fight for the money that is necessary for all of our schools, regardless of where they are. That's all I've got time for in this episode. Um, I'm going to do a follow up uh, around the question of where money is going in our education system and particularly around privatisation. I also want to hear from you, uh, your thoughts, your questions around what I've raised in previous episodes, plus um, suggestions for future episodes uh, and what I should cover. But the final thing I want to say is that from the 8th of April, if you are a National Education Union member, you're going to be receiving ballot papers for the NEC elections at your home address. If you're in inner London, vote James Kerr number one and use your second and third preferences to vote for Kirsty Payton and Christabel Williams. And if you're not in inner London, please vote for Education Solidarity Network candidates and let's elect uh, an executive that is going to fight uh, to transform our education system and the lives of our members. Thanks for listening and take care. Thank you.